From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And let me welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast, or maybe this is your very first visit. Well, if it is, let me give you an especially warm welcome. Ahead for the next 30 or 40 minutes, we're going to be talking about a bunch of information about cannabis, the plant that I absolutely have a passion for. And you must have some interest too, or you probably wouldn't be here. Before we get too much further, let me remind you this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction, and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. We're going to look to the spring for the results from the Cannabis Act Review, Municipalities who are late to the cannabis market are continuing the stigma by placing new stores in industrial zones. The CRA is a little tired of waiting. They even acted some garnishes to get their tax money from some cannabis companies. The price gap has lessened between legal and illicit weed. There's a lot of private retail owners who would like to see BC Cannabis get out of retail. And we look further at weedoutmisinformation.ca. Plus, we're going to stop on Cultivar Corner to save some money with BC Small's Sour Sangria. All of that and more on episode 145 of the Cannabis Podcast. As always, I want to thank you for being a listener. I truly appreciate the fact that you are here. And in addition to that, I want to thank my supporters, Jordana, Keith, and Jordan at buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. If you like what you hear and you feel so inclined, you can go there too and buy me a doobie. At Patreon, I want to thank Tony, Roger, Rob, and Gage. I truly appreciate the support. Now, let's get to our first story. Last episode, I briefly talked about a site called weedoutmisinformation.ca, designed to improve the information available and make it more accurate and factual in regarding cannabis. I was pointed to that site by Daniel Baer, who has his PhD. He's the director of Humber Center for Social Innovation, Faculty of Social and Community Services at Humber College in Toronto. Daniel and I actually sat down for an interview just the other day, and you're going to be hearing that interview next episode. Because what they're doing is they are preparing a survey to follow up weedoutmisinformation.ca. And so when that information is available, we will publish that interview, and that's going to be next week. But let's look at weedoutmisinformation.ca with a little bit more detail right now. It is a resource for informed cannabis consumption. Misinformation about cannabis is everywhere, so it's important to stick to the facts. Whether you're new to cannabis or have been consuming for a while, you'll find information to help you make more informed decisions about consuming cannabis. And let's do that. Let's look at cannabis info. What are set and setting? Before consuming any drugs, it's important to consider your set and setting. Set refers to your internal environment, including your mindset, expectations, intention, mood, and fears. Setting refers to your external environment, which is the physical, cultural, and social environment where consumption is taking place. Finding the right set and setting for you will ensure you achieve your desired experience. Is cannabis completely harmless? Cannabis is not a harmless drug, but it is relatively harmless. The overwhelming majority of people that consume cannabis do so without problems to their mental or physical health, but some people do experience issues, and these issues are more likely to appear in very frequent consumers. This doesn't mean that all or even most frequent consumers will experience any sort of problem, but we need to acknowledge there are some risks and take steps to mitigate those risks. How do I avoid having a bad experience with cannabis? Start low. Go slow. This means start with a low dose and don't take too much at once. 
Edibles take a while to kick in, but inhaled cannabis takes effect rather quickly. In either case, you want to give yourself sufficient time to know how high you are before deciding whether to have more. Being high feels quite nice if you're at the level of being high that you intended, but can be uncomfortable if you miss the mark. Start low, go slow. How risky is cannabis? Cannabis is not harmless, but it is relatively low risk. Understanding how to use cannabis safely and what mental health risks might be present for you can help ensure a safe and enjoyable experience with cannabis. So there's just a snippet of some of the information that is available on weedoutmisinformation.ca. Make sure you tune in next episode to my conversation with Daniel Baer, who has a PhD and is the Director of Humber Center for Social Innovation, Faculty of Social and Community Services at Humber College. The approach that Daniel and his team are taking to dispense accurate information about cannabis to the Canadian public is very innovative through a source that your average Canadian would probably trust. Make sure you tune into our conversation next week to find out those details. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Now, when this story first came across my desk, I could not help but thinking, if this isn't a case of stigma <laughs> and stigma is sticking it in your face, I don't know what is. <laughs> Again, we go to stratcan.com and this was contributed for them. Municipalities in BC that reversed their ban on cannabis dispensaries have used industrial zones as a testing ground for their first store, and two owners offer differing opinions on the strategy. I have to stop for a sidebar on that. <laughs> because seriously, here we are. It must be a bad kind of business because we have to stick it in an area of town where we're not sure if it's going to be successful or not. This just infuriates me. End of sidebar. Following the legalization of cannabis in 2018, the British Columbia and Ontario provincial governments allowed municipalities to opt out of permitting dispensaries. And two dispensary CEOs who opened the first stores in Tofino and Delta, B.C., say industrial zones were the only place they could start their business. Non-commercial locations were selected to address city government concerns about cannabis storefronts being visible to minors on their way to school or going home, the owner said. I'm sorry, another sidebar. <laughs> the storefront can't be visible. Ah, this absolutely just infuriates me. <laughs> End of sidebar. Putting a municipality's first store in an industrial area creates challenges for owners to reach customers, according to Vikram Chadiva, CEO and founder of the Seed and Stone dispensary chain. This industrial area concept has to go away, Chadiva said. Shadiva opened Delta BC's first cannabis brick-and-mortar store in November 2021 after working directly with the mayor and city staff to create a policy for dispensaries. Shadiva explained that the industrial location was a compromise with municipal officials who were hesitant about not allowing a dispensary downtown. Since then, five more dispensaries have opened in Delta, including three in strip malls, BC's liquor and cannabis licensing data shows. When Seed and Stone opened the first dispensary in Hope, BC in September 2022, Shadiva worked with local officials to ensure the location was in a strip mall. Pitt Meadows, B.C. is currently working with Seed and Stone on opening the municipality's first cannabis storefront after agreeing to hear applications for dispensaries in July of 2023. A similar story with a different perspective played out on Vancouver Island. The first Tofino, B.C. cannabis store suggested to city officials that it should open in an industrial zone in January 2020, Michael Holkemp, CEO of Daylight Cannabis Company, said. Holocamp said his store in Tofino 
next to breweries and automotive shops, is a trial by the city before potentially opening up in commercial areas. It makes sense up there, Holycamp said. Daynight Cannabis is currently operating with a temporary permit because Tofino still doesn't have permanent regulations on dispensaries. Small towns have limited commercial operation spaces in industrial areas, and Holocamp said he intentionally never requested municipality officials change the zoning of his store from industrial to commercial. Technically, right now, there is no legal zoning, Holocamp said. A second dispensary has since opened in Tofino, this time in a commercial area. Shadiva argues that making a greater dent in the illicit gray market requires putting cannabis dispensaries where people already shop. Health Canada's 2023 survey showed that 73% of cannabis users reported purchasing cannabis through the legal market. When there is no store in Surrey, B.C., what are people going to do, Shadiva said? They're going to go to other municipalities, or they're going to call their guy that they've been calling for the last 5 to 10 years. Holocamp agreed that gray market competition was a concern, but said whether or not it's more prevalent in municipalities without dispensaries was hard to tell. North Vancouver saw a slow growth of dispensaries after lifting its ban, according to Jeff Deere, owner of Muse Cannabis, the city's first dispensary. But within 12 to 18 months, there was greater competition in the city, and Muse felt it in their bottom line. Deer said limits on the number of stores in cities and minimum distances between dispensaries can help fight market saturation. Government data shows there are now 60 dispensaries in the 10 municipalities that have lifted their prohibition on cannabis storefronts. Local media reports show that Surrey, North Vancouver, Tofino, Hope, Delta, and Pitt Meadows in BC initially opted out of allowing dispensaries before reversing course. In Ontario, the municipalities of Mississauga, LaSalle and Milton took the same path of granting dispensary permits after initially refusing to. Nice to see that it's finally changing, but (laughs) not nice to see that they're sticking the new storage in the industrial areas because they're still not admitting that it is a legal situation. Frustrates the heck out of me. How do you feel about it? Does that frustrate you too? Well, if not, it should. And for our next story, we're going to mjbizdaily.com, a story written by Matt Lamers. And this is the first of two-part story, and we'll, we'll cover the second part probably in the next episode. Canada's tax collection agency is following through on a threat to garnish cash from licensed cannabis producers that are delinquent on their excise duty payments. The move is a major escalation in the Canada Revenue Agency's efforts to collect money it's owed by federally regulated cannabis companies with outstanding excise debt a situation that has ballooned in recent years as the industry's financial challenges mount. The amount of unpaid federal excise tax owed by Canada's cash-strapped marijuana companies has skyrocketed to almost $200 million Canadian dollars, a nearly threefold increase over the previous fiscal year's outstanding tax obligation of $52 million. That increase prompted the federal government's revenue service to ramp up pressure on cannabis producers with outstanding excise debt, including potential garnishment, liens on plant property and equipment, and even the possibility of legal action. Now the Canada Revenue Agency is involving provincially-owned cannabis wholesalers by forcing them to garnish wholesale payments intended for licensed producers and instead redirecting that money to the federal government. The CRA order could have significant consequences for cannabis companies that are delinquent on their taxes by effectively preventing those businesses from collecting money from wholesalers after making a sale. It's a pretty unprecedented step and in a lot of ways speaks to how pervasive the issue is, Rami Chalabi, an attorney with Toronto law firm McCarthy Tetro, said in an interview. Moving directly to garnishment of payments is a significant step to take, 
and will definitely put a lot of people on notice that you can't continue being delinquent on your tax payments. Action is going to be taken, and action that is going to directly affect your bottom line. It speaks to the issue that there are a large number of LPs that are behind on their payments, and the quickest way to seek an enforcement action is to go to their largest customers and get the money through them. The CRA would not say how many licensed producers' wholesale payments were garnished or the total amount involved, so the true extent of enforcement is still unclear. Three provincial wholesalers contacted by MJ Biz Daily confirmed that the CRA told them to garnish payments originally intended for licensed producers over unpaid taxes. In its enforcement of the Federal Excise Tax Act, the CRA has directed the Ontario Cannabis Store to remit payment to the CRA for licensed producers that are delinquent on their excise duty. The agency said it has no choice but to comply with the CRA order. The OCS, like any other agency in Canada receiving a directive from the CRA, is legally obligated to follow this order, the spokesperson noted. As a result, the OCS has taken necessary steps to adhere to these obligations. British Columbia's cannabis wholesaler, the BC Liquor Distribution Branch, also confirmed it has been ordered to garnish payments from some cannabis license holders because of unpaid taxes. The Canada Revenue Agency has sent the BC Liquor Distribution Branch a number of requirements to pay notices for amounts owing addressed to cannabis licensed producers, a spokesperson confirmed. The LDB also said it's legally required to comply with the CRA's order. As a payment processor, the LDB is legally required to act under the garnishee orders, a.k.a. requirement to pay, that are issued by the CRA and redirect payments or a share of payments for wholesale purchases to the CRA. These amounts specified in the notices would otherwise be payable to the licensed producers. The LDB said there is no separate internal agency policy or process related to the garnishment situation other than to redirect payments or a share of payments for wholesale purchases to the CRA when required by the CRA. The Société Québécois du Cannabis, Quebec's cannabis wholesaler, also told MJ Biz Daily that it was ordered to garnish payments. The SQDC has received instructions from the Canada Revenue Agency to garnish payments for three licensed producers. The growing number of Canadian cannabis companies failing to pay their federal excise taxes on time is a sign that struggling businesses are deferring some bills to meet more pressing financial needs, such as paying employees, executives have told MJ Biz Daily. To lobby, the McCarthy Tetra attorney said struggling companies are managing competing financial priorities, and many are essentially operating month to month in terms of what expenses can be put off. For many operators, it appears the federal tax bill has been deferred. When the cash is running out and you're trying to keep the business alive and trying to preserve as much cash as possible before going into that bankruptcy process, licensed producers ask what payments they can make to keep the business running. And those typically are to keep certain suppliers, employees, versus what payment can they push off and deal with later. I don't think it's a situation where companies are not paying. I think they're late in doing the best they can to catch up. The CRA told MJBiz Daily via email that delinquent cannabis companies are encouraged to contact and work with the tax agency to develop a suitable payment plan based on their ability to pay. Not everyone is complaining about the tax garnishment. Some cannabis companies that are up to date with their excise payments welcome the CRA's apparent crackdown. They argue that collecting on tax delinquent businesses will be beneficial to companies that pay their taxes on time and in full. James Black, Chief Operating Officer at Edmonton, Alberta-based Space Race Cannabis, said large companies that defer or don't pay their taxes have an unfair competitive advantage. You can imagine competing with a rival who doesn't have to pay their tax on time or never pays, he said. In some cases, that is roughly half their cost of goods. That puts them at a strategic advantage against us. And that was part one of this story, as I say, written by Matt Lamers from MJ Biz Daily. And we'll keep you informed with part two once that get published. Cracking down 
I guess it's really no surprise. It has been going on for five or six years now. Really feel sorry for the companies that are in those positions where they're having to decide whether they pay their taxes or they pay the employees. There's clearly some problems in the Canadian cannabis industry, and I hope we can find some solutions. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one token at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. Now, this story is dealing with a topic that is very tender to many people, myself included. The BC Cannabis stores in BC compete against regular retailers. And of course, BC Cannabis is also the wholesaler who sells to all of those retailers. This is a really interesting story. This is from Global TV News, a story uh, originally reported by Aaron McCarthy. BC Cannabis retailers are worried that the provincial government's cannabis stores are operating at a loss. The private industry said it is already facing several challenges in turning a profit, and competing with the BC government for customers is just another hurdle that is possibly holding them back. When you have control of a wholesale distribution and you have retail stores, you have an advantage. And throw on top of that the fact the government doesn't have to publish its financials, Aaron Richardson, a co-owner of Sunrise Cannabis, said, it is very difficult. Typically, the province undercuts all the small, independently-owned retailers to try and gain market share. When you're not accountable for your financial performance, you can get away with it. The government does not disclose retail sales or the costs associated with running retail operations, which means taxpayers have no idea if the stores are profitable. When Global News asked the BC Liquor Distribution Branch as to why the information regarding profits is not publicly available, a spokesperson said it's because it's competitive information. According to the BC government, cannabis sales bring in $485 million a year in revenue, which includes both retail sales and wholesale purchases. That figure is an increase of 15% from the year previous. The government also says transactions at retail stores have increased by 2.1 million purchases, which is a 24% increase in a year. The Retail Cannabis Council of BC's director, Corey Waldron, told Global News, when a government store opens, there's an instant decline in private store sales in the area. We saw an immediate and permanent decline of 35 to 40 percent, just dropped right off and never recovered, Waldron said. The government has endless pockets. And if they are losing money, it doesn't matter. But as a private operator, I can only lose money for so long before I have to lay off all my staff and close the doors. It's been five years since cannabis legalization, and the cannabis industry is growing, but according to many, it is not thriving. And the fact that the BC cannabis stores are competing with so many at the retail market is, in many people's opinion, part of the problem. And that's the story from globalnews.ca. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. We're back at BC for Cultivar Corner this episode. And this time, we're dealing with a rather innovative product that's been around for uh, probably a few weeks now. Might even be months. <laughs> I don't keep track. That's BC Smalls. You've heard me talk about BC Black for a long time. You've heard me talk about Joint Venture Craft Cannabis, JVCC. Well, we bring all of that together, and one of the newest entries into their market is called BC Smalls. And we are doing a sativa-dominant BC Small uh, 25.5% THC for Sour Sangria. Craft Smalls. Hmm... Sounds delightful. I mean, the 
Buds don't have to be huge, right? The THC is still going to be pretty good at 25.5%. Let's pop this bag and see what we're dealing with here. Hopefully it's easy for me to open. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, that's very, very nice. Mmm. Now, let's pop that onto my table. And yes, okay, they're small buds. What we would commonly refer to as popcorn buds. But there's enough of them to make up 3.5 grams. And if I take a peek at one of those inside of my jeweler's loop, let's see what we're looking at in these BC Smalls. Well, sure, it's a small bud. But inside that small bud, there's some nice little trichome fields. They're kind of a, a, a medium green. There's some red pistols that you can see on that. They're not really, really hard, but they're not really, really soft either. They're kind of right smack dab in the middle. Let me break one of them up and see if that changes how sticky. And, and of course, yes, it does. Once you break that up, the stickiness happens. Uh, really some nice aromas in that. My terps on this guy, my total terps are sitting at 2.23, which kind of explains it, it was not incredibly fragrant when i popped the bag open the, the room was not suddenly filled with aroma but when i stick my nose right in there uh it certainly is and it's going to have some sativa dominance my terpenes are terpinaline myrcene and selena 3-7111d diene i always have trouble with that one and the flavor and aromas pine cloves and hops definitely some pine notes as you pop open those BC Smalls. So let me give you the description from the folks at BC Smalls. Introducing BC Smalls, a trailblazing line of cannabis out to prove that size doesn't matter when it comes to delivering an exceptional cannabis experience. BC Smalls prides itself on curating an extraordinary selection of cannabis products that may have smaller buds compared to traditional offerings, but are packed with incredible potency, flavor, and aroma. We believe that great things come in small packages, and our small craft nugs are a testament to that. We understand that it's the little things that count, and our small craft nugs are no exception. When it comes to cannabis, large-sized buds mean large-sized stems, leading to less of the usable part of cannabis in your weighed pack. Additionally, anecdotal evidence suggests that the very tip of a flower has the highest potency, terpenes and trichomes, meaning that more small tips in your package means more of the good stuff you want to smoke. Just like their larger counterparts, BC Smalls are meticulously hand-trimmed, hang-dried, and cured perfectly to ensure the best possible bang for your buck. Same great buds, small craft nugs. Choose BC Smalls today. Well, there you go. There's the marketing for you. Mm, and there is some really nice aroma in that. Buds are breaking up really nicely. And they're a decent size. I mean, they're smalls. <laughs> well, let me get a joint ready and we will give a taste to BC Smalls Sour Sangria. Now, in full transparency, as I pop that weed onto my scale, <laughs> I don't have a problem with the smalls, <clears throat> but I would appreciate it if it was actually 3.5 grams. I'm 3.36, and I've waited a couple of times, taken it off, put it back on. Not a big deal. It's probably just going to be one more bud that's going to make that change. Let me grab another bit of bud from some other weed, and let me see if one more bud will be that differentiator. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> But that's okay. I mean, yes, I do understand that there is some shrinkage or some weight loss that's going to occur after packaging and distribution. When was this packaged? That could be part of the issue. Let's see. Packaged on. Oh, no. 
Package really fresh. This is really fresh. <laughs> this is packaged on February 4th of this year, which when I'm recording this is less than three weeks away. So really, really fresh. Um, one small, one small critique uh, that it is sitting at now at 3.36. I was hoping for 3.5. Time to roll a joint. And I want to send a shout out to Eric. Eric is the delivery driver for Kilo Cannabis. Kilo is where I picked up my BC Small Sour Sangria and had it delivered to my house. How convenient is that? <laughs> I truly appreciate that. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate the effort. And now I do have to comment that as I was rolling that joint and uh, punching up and breaking up those buds, there was more aroma coming out. So more of those pine notes came in. Again, my terpenes I'm dealing with are terpinaline, myrcene, and selena 3711 dn I, i've got to figure out how to, how to pronounce that one sometime pine cloves and hops are my flavors i've got my joint the ariser air max is busy warming up and while that's warming up let's like the joint this is bc smalls sour sangria craft cannabis Oh, nice, smooth first puff. No harshness there at all. A little bit of a pine notes on the inhale. And total terpenes 2.23. My THC is sitting at 25.5. And in typical cultivar corner fashion, this is the first smoke of the day. Getting in those first few puffs. Hmm. Starting to feel good on that. Yeah, getting a bit of a get a bit of a buzz going here. And now that I've had two or three tokes out of the joint, my Ariser Air Max is ready. Let's see what sour sangria craft smalls truly taste like. Oh, much more of those pine notes. Much more of that pinene coming through. Although there's no pinene listed on the terpenes, there has to be some pinene somewhere in there. Pines, cloves, and hops. Mm. Nice on that too. Really a nice flavor on that. Quite enjoying the vaporizer. Mmm. If you truly want to taste your weed, pick yourself up a herbal vaporizer. You will not be disappointed. You will have to take a different approach because it's a slower route, a slower route to high. And speaking of the routes to high, so there's a few tokes from the joint, a few tokes, uh, <laughs> a few tokes of the joint down, a few tokes of the vaporizer are down. I'm not getting a lot of happy eyes to this point. I am feeling a bit of euphoria. There is definitely some euphoria coming on. Not deep, deep, but but it's there. And as I continue to imbibe, that euphoric feeling is starting to build. Mm -hmm. Building to a, a bit more intensity. And of course, I'm never sure whether the high is coming from the vaporizer or whether the high is coming from the joint or whether it's a combination of the two. My intention for today, uh, the usual intention for Cultivar Corner, 
Let's see whether the weed gets me high. <laughs> no more intention than that. And today, again, it's not coming on gangbusters. My THC at 25.5. And again, I'm feeling a bit of euphoria. Just a titch of happy eyes. Just a hint of them kind of appearing there. It's a nice feeling. It's not really buzzed. It's not as strong as some of the weed that I have had of late. But I guess the thing I have to point out is that these eights are selling for about 20 bucks in most stores. So when you're talking about 20 bucks worth of weed and the impact that it has on you, you have to adjust your priorities and your expectations ever so slightly. And at $20 an eighth for the Sativa Dominant Sour Sangria Craft Smalls, that's a nice little bit of euphoria coming on. Again, not just a, just a hint of my happy eyes are sitting there, but the euphoria is kind of welling up. It's got a nice clean head, not a lot of frivolity up there. I don't feel like I'm muddy and going to have to sit back and think about things for a while. So I'm pleased by that. I like that nice sativa strength in my head, the clarity that I'm looking for. Nice little euphoric buzz. It's not knocking me on my butt, but I don't always want to be knocked on my butt. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to get a little bit of high. And for Sour Sangria, the Craft Smalls, at 25.5% THC, I definitely got a little bit of high. And as I am often wants to do, <laughs> after the cannabis has had an opportunity to live in my endocannabinoid system for a few minutes, the high kind of blossoms a little bit further. <laughs> Euphoria is a little deeper now. I got more of a hint of some happy eyes going on, but definitely just a really good feeling. This is a really nice high, not really deep, but as I say, I don't always want a really deep high. This is just a really nice sativa, giving me a nice clear head high, and now I can take on the day. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And to CannabisRetailer.ca for the next story, which talks about the legal and illicit price gap dropping to just about 20%. Five years ago, the legalized cannabis industry was hailed as a huge economic opportunity. Today, the industry isn't thriving. A new report from Deloitte, Clear the Smoke, Insights to Canada's Illicit Cannabis Market, explores why. The report looks at the gaps between the illicit and legal market in terms of product offerings, the key differences in major product categories that are affecting where consumers shop, the operational tactics that are helping the illicit market, what else can be done to support a more viable and secure legal market in Canada. Depending on the data source, the illicit market is estimated to take anywhere from 25 to 52 percent of market share. This presents a considerable opportunity for legal cannabis companies and regulators to start collaborating to develop an appropriate response. The most notable discovery the report made is the pricing gap for flower products, the average price differential is now only about 20%. The pricing gap between the legal recreational and illicit markets has narrowed significantly from the 55% measured by StatsCan in Q4 of 2019. Unique SKU counts were higher for illicit websites, and they had a significantly higher average SKU count than the legal recreational stores. Illicit websites were over-indexed on flour and extract products, and under-indexed on pre-rolls, beverages, and vapes compared to legal recreational stores. The standard size format in the legal recreational market was 3.5 grams. 60% of its flower products were offered in this size, whereas the illicit websites had a relatively even distribution of size varieties at 3.5 grams and larger. 
Legal and recreational stores had an average unique SKU count of 538 per store, while the list websites had an average of 918. Excluding accessories, the count narrows to 357 for legal stores and 591 for illicit websites, indicating a greater volume of accessory products in the illicit market. The report attributes the wider variety of SKUs in the illicit market to a variety of factors, including no purchase limits, greater strain variety for inhalable products, illegal psychedelic products being offered, greater format variety especially for edible products as there are no limits on THC potency. Inventory for illicit websites was over-indexed on flower products compared to legal recreational stores. The report suggests this is partly due to lower pricing than the legal recreational market, the ability to sell at a higher volume and above the 30-gram limit, greater strain variety. Previous research shows the illicit market has more experienced and educated cannabis users who have a stronger preference for flower products over novel categories. Extracts are also over-indexed on the illicit market. The report found that illicit market flower variety is evenly distributed in 3.5 gram and above size varieties, while the legal recreational market is highly concentrated on the 3.5 gram size. Other findings include both markets offer most of their flower products at 3.5 grams and above, indicating little interest in smaller packaging sizes in either market. The largest category in the illicit market is 28 grams. Three sizes collectively represented 88% of all flower products offered in the legal market. 60% were 3.5 gram, 14.4% each for a quarter or 7 grams, and an ounce at 28 gram packages. Operational efficiency is likely the driver of the 3.5 grams being the standard packaging size for flower products in the legal market, as illicit sellers have no reason to adhere to packaging guidelines. Illicit market flower products cost about 20% less than legal products across all size categories. The pricing differential between legal recreational stores and illicit websites is highest for the 3.5 gram size. The report notes that pricing is a major strain on legal producers and has been cited as a primary factor in the overall decline of the Canadian cannabis industry's revenue and profitability. Beyond the key insights shared so far, other observations of the illicit market include most reviewed websites use Canada Post as the primary method for shipping orders, all sampled websites offered e-transfer as the primary payment method, with some sites also accepting Bitcoin or cash. The majority of websites had no age gating on entry though some asked customers to confirm they were of legal age prior to purchase. Illicit drugs were offered on 63% of the websites. A significant volume of products, primarily accessories and flower strain names, incorporate common television, film, and other media brands. Well, unlicensed, this could be a draw for customers. And all the, this is my favorite line of the whole article. <laughs> I saw this just before I was starting it, and this just finishes it up perfectly. All the websites selling illicit cannabis added tax for all products at checkout, it's uncertain whether these taxes are remitted. <laughs> and since we have recently had a story about the CRA collecting taxes, that's an interesting comment that all of these illicit websites are charging tax, but is it making its way to the government? Hmm. <laughs> interesting story from CannabisRetailer.ca. For our next story, we're going to mjbizdaily.com, and this was written by Matt Lamers. A panel of experts scrutinizing Canada's Federal Cannabis Act is on schedule to release its review and recommendations this spring. The country's national regulator told MJBizDaily, Cannabis industry officials will be watching closely for recommendations related to the economic, social, and environmental impacts of the Cannabis Act, which could lead to reform that has ramifications for the heavily regulated industry. The 2018 Cannabis Act required the formal review to examine the law's impact on public health, consumption patterns, and effect on Indigenous communities. It was subsequently broadened to cover 
the law's economic and environmental impacts, progress toward providing access to legal products, its impact on access to medical cannabis, its impact on indigenous peoples, racial communities, and women who have faced significant barriers to participating in the legal industry. Per the terms of reference guiding the review, the panel's final report is supposed to be delivered to Canada's health ministers no later than 18 months after the establishment of the panel, and that would mean March 2024. After that, the report will be presented, or tabled, in both Houses of Parliament by spring 2024, a Health Canada spokesperson told MJ Biz Daily via email. Once the final report is tabled in Parliament, Health Canada will carefully review the panel's recommendations, the spokesperson added. In October, the panel released its preliminary report outlining troubles plaguing the nation's cannabis industry. A main message from industry representatives was that, despite the growth of the legal cannabis market, companies across the supply chain are struggling to realize profits and maintain financial viability, the report noted. In the second phase of the review, the panel was tasked with working with provinces and territories to identify priority areas for action that might have implications for their respective jurisdictions under the Cannabis Act, as well as for businesses operating in the industry. Any advice in the panel could have major implications for regulated and illegal cannabis operators, as well as companies still operating in grey areas throughout Canada, depending on the specific recommendations and whether the government commits to implementing them. The internal terms of reference guiding the Cannabis Act review is available as well, and I'll put a link to that at the Cannabis Podcast as well. And Matt Lamer is the author of that story from mjbizdaily.com. Thank you once again for being a listener. I truly appreciate the fact that you are here. I want to remind you to tune in next episode for a conversation with Daniel Baer, the director of Humber Center for Social Innovation at Humber College. We're going to be talking a little bit more about what their project is after weed out misinformation. Plus, we'll probably find something else to throw up in Cultivar Corner as well. All of that is coming up next week. Now, let's finish with a joke. And this is a joke that we found at toughmama.com under their section of best weed jokes, puns, and tweets. <laughs> this one really gave me a chuckle. What did the frog say when he passed the bong to his frog friend? Rip it. <laughs> I told my doctor I was having problems with my joints. He told me to roll them tighter. What do you get when you mix laxatives and weed? Shits and giggles. How does a stoner recite Shakespeare? Doobie or not doobie? Okay, that's enough. Because they're one-letters, I can throw a bunch of them out there. <laughs> and that wraps it up for episode 145 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, 
PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.